This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com. Today's show is about firearm ownership in South Africa. And uh, I think you may know that recently draft proposals were published on social media. And in reality, the proposals mean that if the powers have their way, firearm ownership in South Africa could be radically restructured. Now listen up to this one. The proposals want to eliminate possession of a firearm for self-defense. And the question I ask is, is this really serious? You must be joking. You must be too joking. You must be joking. You must be too joking. You must be joking. You must be too joking. Joking, 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 joking. Yeah, I think that even Leo Chuster would find it funny. Um, the proposals, if passed, would also place severe limitations on the possession and use of firearms by the security industry. Now, joining us today is attorney Martin Hood. Who, he's, he's an absolute expert on the subject. He's going to discuss the draft firearms control amendment and how this impacts you uh, from a personal and safety point of view, and the firearms industry. It's a very serious topic, this. Uh, Martin Johannesburg, attorney, specializes in uh, criminal matters and is a specialist, as I said, in firearm law and is a security legislation expert. A very warm welcome to you, Martin. Thanks for joining us. Afternoon, Gary. Hi. I think you've got to get your own show on this one, Martin. There's so <laughs> much on, on firearms that uh, you need to talk about week after week. And it's serious. It's yeah, I think serious. you must talk to Gareth about this one. Our Facebook page is The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. Have a look and give us a like if you don't mind. Okay, so Mark, let's just talk about this new law. How did this document become public? I published it on Facebook. I got it from a source um, within the firearms industry. We had heard about this particular document um, about six weeks before we actually got our hands on it. Uh, it surfaced in Cape Town. Reference was made to it, um, and I was contacted by a colleague from Cape Town who told me that he'd uh, had a discussion with some police officers. We had been expecting some amendments for some time. There was a process. There was a, a, a summit in 2015 in Parliament about uh, amending the Firearms Control Act. There was a bill published um, before then which made certain limited suggested changes, and we have been waiting over the last two and a half years for this bill to surface so that we could get cracking and we could uh, engage government and um, obviously do the panel beating that's always going to be necessary in a contentious environment like firearms. Mm -hmm. What happened was over the last two and a half years, and I think this is very critical for everyone who's listening, to to understand and contextualize um, the firearms environment. Over the last two and a half years, I've been in Parliament. Uh, I've met with... Um, various police officials. We've tried to meet with the Secretary of Police. There's been a constant refrain where we've said, talk to us. We're in this together. We, we are stakeholders. We are part of a process that uh, has to be used in order to amend legislation. 
we've been met with complete and utter silence, basically on all levels. Mm. So that has been of great concern to us because we need to we, we are a stakeholder. The constitution requires that our rights be respected and that we actually get to be part of these processes. So already there's a large element of discrimination in the sense that firearm owners are being put into a, a separate pool or basket and treated differently. Now, that is, that's of serious, serious concern because you, you, you're not allowed to discriminate. You're not allowed to categorize people as different in terms of our constitution. So that's the first point. Mm. Sure. The second point is that we have to see uh, firearms control in the context of violent crime in this country. And unfortunately, violent crime is increasing. And at the same time, uh, our national commissioner um, at the end of last month admitted in parliament that the police can't fulfill their mandate. They can't actually protect the citizens. Why? They don't have the resources, corruption, incompetence. Mm, uh, tragic. Revolving door principles of senior management. We've had various ministers, many national commissioners, one who's been convicted of corruption, one who's already under investigation. And so mm. it goes on. So mm. all, all of the all of the bad things that could happen with the police have happened. And if there's one reason why we have crime in this country, it's the police. And unfortunately, the police don't want to take that responsibility and they look elsewhere to blame. I think the commissioner said uh, the, uh, the police mandate is overstretched and impossible to fulfill. I think those are his words. I've actually got it in front of me as well. Yeah, and yeah. and so, so what we've also seen, and now I speak from a security industry perspective, over the last five years, the police have retreated from the suburbs. You don't see much policing happening on the ground these days because of a lack of resources and for a whole variety of other reasons. So increasingly what has happened is the private security industry has stepped in to play that role. Mm. And it's a very problematic role because the private security industry doesn't have police powers. Mm. But nonetheless, virtually invariably the first responders to a crime incident are the security industry. Yes. And particularly in an urban environment. So – the security industry has also experienced a massive increase in terms of um, a demand for its services and, and giving services. So that's a, another firm indicator of a, a relapse in police service delivery because the private industry has had to, had to take up the slack and had to fulfill that role. Mm. In that context, as I said, we have increasing crime, decreasing policing, and the admission by the National Commissioner that they can't fulfill their mandate. Then, as you said, as the intro, can they really be serious about these proposals? The answer is, I think, yes, they are. Um, Sorry, just go into a bit more detail. What exactly do the proposals mean? So I'm I'm going to break it down into three categories. Now, the amendment is 148 pages long, so it's quite detailed. It's well drafted, and that in itself is – and indicated that the police didn't do it. We think that there's most definitely some private influences involved, so be that as it may. The first category is that it is a a wish list of problems that the police have had since the implementation of the Act. So someone has been writing down about all the court cases, about all the administrative problems, about all of the so-called loopholes, that have been found or created or exploited, and I use the word loopholes in inverted commas because the police see um, anyone who takes advantage of the act as exploiting loopholes as opposed to taking advantage of the act. So the first part is 
um, a massive attempt to remedy all of the shortcomings that have arisen over the over the years, um, and it is intended particularly to uh, specifically provide a lot more to make it a lot more difficult to get a license. And I'll give an example. Um, in terms of Section 16, which is a so-called dedicated license, if you comply with five or six requirements of the Act, you can go to the police and say, I've done all of this. I want my firearm. And the police cannot say that you're not compliant and therefore refuse that type of firearm. So now what they've come back and said is we're increasing the discretion the police have and we are limiting the number of firearms that you can have. And at the same time, we are also now making you prove that you have exceptional circumstances to justify the possession of that firearm. So the first part is limiting numbers, increasing discretions, making it much more difficult. The second part and the second and the third part, I think, are the most important ones because they affect everybody, indirectly or directly. The first one is you can't license a firearm for self-defense anymore. Now, the biggest category of firearm ownership in this country, single category, is self-defense firearms. Mm, absolutely. And uh, if you can think of many examples, farmers in particular, people who own businesses, mm. people who have threats on their life for whatever reason, obviously there's a very good justification for having a firearm for self-defense. Mm. The police have said, we don't want that anymore. And when your license expires, you've got to dispose of the firearm. There's no talk about um, compensation or anything like that either, which is another cause of concern. Mm. So they want to take away the right of uh, the individual citizen to protect him or herself. Now, we all know that, um, and to use a cliche, a gun in the hand is better than a policeman on the phone. We know that the police do not have the capacity to respond to individual emergencies. We know that they don't have the capacity to be preventative in nature. They cannot put resources on the ground to prevent crime. Mm -hmm. And again, the crime statistics are evidence of that. They're going up. So the police are losing control over crime, and particularly the categories of violent crime, contact crime, murder, rape, robbery, etc. And we're going to talk about rape later. So we're in this environment where they want to take away your right to protect yourself or your means to protect yourself and they don't have a viable alternative because they can't fulfill their mandate. But then it gets worse. And in my mind, this, the next part I'm going to speak about just really shows the, how divorced this government is from the reality of what happens in this country. The police are proposing that the security industry can only have firearms in exceptional circumstances and that if they, being the security sector, want to get a firearm license, they have to go to the police with a, with a contract and say, I have a contract that requires the use of firearms. And then the police will consider giving um, firearm licenses to that security provider subject to a whole myriad of new requirements, very restrictive requirements. So we've got a double whammy that we've got to deal with here. Mm. The first is the removal of the individual right to possess a firearm for self-defense, but then the restriction on the security industry to provide a service to those same people as well, or as an alternative. And let's try and understand government's reasoning for a moment. If 
the government came along and said, look, the security industry is well regulated. We think that the security industry should be the primary protector of citizens. Mm. That would be an argument that might have some credibility to it as opposed to individual ownership of firearms. Mm. But it's a double whammy. They've said we're taking the individual right away and we're taking an industry right away. Mm. So the the, the thrust of this bill, and there is no doubt as to its, its authenticity, is removal of firearms across the board without taking into account its consequences. And those consequences are going to be no doubt an increase in violent crime because people are going to have to um, use other means to protect themselves. They won't be able to rely on the security industry, so that would directly affect the armed response industry. But there's um, much, much more. Sorry, so armed response w- would arrive without a firearm. Is that you is wouldn't have armed with response with a truncheon or something? It's going to be the end of the armed response. Yeah, because they'll they'll move away from it. Yeah, and it's, it won't be effective, will it? Well. Yeah. Think about it from an employee's point of view. Would you mm. like to go into a confrontation where, in all probability, the, mm. the the criminals are armed and you've got no means to actually protect yourself? I mean, that, that, it's going to be the death of the industry. Mm, makes no sense. Yeah. But it's more subtle than that as well because we move large amounts of cash and assets around this country on a daily basis. You see the um, armored vehicles that do mm. ATM deliveries and cash collections and so forth. They're also going to be directly impacted by this. So now those movements of cash and valuables are going to be exposed. So we're going to see, again, an upsurge in uh, crime in relation to the movement of cash and valuables. And then the third category is, is going to be shopping centers. We've had a major problem in the past where crime, particularly at this time of the year, has occurred in, in shopping centers where there's been incursions of large armed gangs into shopping centers. And the response of that was that the private industry put armed guards there. Mm-hmm. And, and that, um, that eliminated about 80% of it in the last, in the last um, two years. Now those shopping centers are going to be exposed again, and it's an open invitation for criminals to do what they do best, and that is come in with mm. illegal firearms and… and, so and f- absolute free-for-all. And, yeah, and, yeah. and, and this government has not considered… It's taken a very ideological approach, and it hasn't considered the practicalities of what these amendments, what it will do. So their rationale is just they think that if you decline all the licenses, then no one will have a gun, and they, no one will have a firearm, and everything will be cool. Is that the way they see it? I think, I think their thinking works on a number of different levels. I think ideologically they've always been opposed to private ownership of firearms to a greater or lesser extent. Mm. That's the first point, I think. And then the next point is that they remain convinced that private firearm owners are the source of illegal firearms. And I just want to give an example of why that is not so. Over the last three years, if you look at the number of firearms reported stolen versus the number of firearms that have been recovered by police, the number of recoveries exceeds those firearms reported stolen, Mm. which means that the police are recovering stolen firearms from the illegal pool. The answer of the police to that is, no, you're not reporting enough firearms stolen. You're actually not reporting. You, the civilians, are not reporting all your firearms being stolen. We know that you are the source of illegal firearms. And, of course, it ignores all the newspaper reports that mm. you see on a regular basis where police officers and even police stations have their firearms stolen. So there's an ideological element to it. 
I think there's an element of denial. They don't want to accept that they are greatly responsible for the problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, it's driven by a very small group of people at this stage who have the right access to to government and who are pursuing an international agenda of um, removing firearms. Mark, you spoke earlier about exceptional circumstances. On that basis, you can get a license. What are exceptional circumstances? So, 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 Gary... You can see me smiling. Yes. I'm smiling. It's actually a very wry smile because you're giving a police officer a discretion. Mm. Now, again, to contextualize things, the, there's, a, there's a, a current court proceeding where the firearm dealers are trying to get policy out of the police. Now, the police since 2003 have consistently refused to disclose a policy or even tell us what documents should be submitted with an application. Mm. Their reasoning is if we tell you what you've got to submit, you're going to submit it and we've got to give you a license. Now, they hide, they refuse licenses um, on the basis that you don't motivate properly or you don't submit enough documentation. Now, Mm. one would think that they should tell you what documentation should be submitted, and they should have some guidelines on how they um, approve or decline licenses. They don't have that. So they have a discretion that they exercise very badly. Mm. Now what um, these amendments propose to do is to increase that discretion. Mm. And all that will result in is more refusals mm. because police officers, and there are good police officers, but the majority of people that deal with firearms, and particularly in Pretoria, they don't know how to use a discretion, and they're subject to the control of their superiors. So if they're told to do things in a certain way, they will not question it. They will not be a good, responsible police officer. Mm. They will simply implement an instruction, whether it's lawful or not. So it's not going to help a whole lot to it's going to so uh, what it what it will do is it will number one obviously make it more difficult to get a firearm license, but it's going to result in more appeals it's going to result in more court cases more business for you <laughs> unfortunately yes, but yes what is the uh, firearm lobby doing about this, and who's the firearm lobby? who do we talk about when we talk firearm lobby well w- one good thing about um, when an industry faces a threat, is mm. that it tends to it tends to act as um, an incentive for the industry to to become more unified. Mm. So the industry um, can be broadly categorised as follows: you've got the firearm dealers, that's the importers and the retailers. You have the various sporting and hunting associations. You have collectors. Mm. Then you have a couple of bodies that represent the self-defence element. Mm. And then there are there is the security industry, which is part of the lobby as well, because obviously they share common interests with us. And for example, the professional hunters as well. So there's a fairly broad grouping um, that we think covers just about um, just about uh, all elements of firearm ownership. And there are other organisations as well. Um, I don't want to necessarily mention them by name, but there are some well-known organizations, rights-based organizations, that… Um, May I mention one? Sure. GOSA, is that who… 
I, I, you used I'm, to be bedfellows with Gosa. I'm going, I'm going, I, I, don't, I don't know whether I, I'm, I'm treading on no, dangerous turf. No, 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 no you're, not, you're not true. I'll come back to Gosa because yeah. Gosa is one of those. Just maybe explain who Gosa is in case the listeners who. Gun owners of South Africa have yeah. uh, been around about 15 years. Um, they have a particular way of, of doing things. They have a very strong mass appeal. Mm. They have a very in-your-face um, approach, a very confrontational approach. I am a supporter of Gosa. I don't always agree with what they do. And how they do it, and I've had one or two public disagreements with them, but there's most definitely um, a place for Goza. We need someone that is going to be in government's face and that is going to appeal to the masses. And we need, and they're very cross-cultural, which is quite interesting as well. They they've succeeded in appealing to a much broader firearm uh, cross-section than other organisations have. I mean, hunters tend to be. Um, re- relatively white middle-aged males, for example, whereas Goza has got a very strong um, uh, support from the color community in the Western Cape, by way of example. Um, so they've succeeded in um, in appealing to a, a part of the firearm-owning population that no other organization has. As I said, I haven't always agreed with their um, confrontational uh, politics, for want of a better word. Uh, the difficulty that I and many others have is as much as we wholeheartedly agree with what they say. There's there's more than one way to say something and to deliver it. Mm. And um it doesn't always doesn't always serve the best purpose to be confrontational only. Mm. And for some of us we have to do the engagement with government. We don't necessarily have to or want to be categorized as confrontational. We know that we have to talk sensibly to government sometimes as much as we might feel the same way that Goza does. And I keep saying feel the same way as Goza does or say the same things as Goza does because in the main I agree with what they say. But it's the delivery where I have a a, a difference of opinion on occasion. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to the, – the the industry is, is, is quite broad. Goza has a very broad base and they're made up of more militant elements for want of a better word. Um, and as I said, it, it varies from that down to people that have rights-based interests, such as the Institute of Race Relations, who are conducting research into the consequences of self-defense. Mm. Um, and there are other rights-based organizations that um, have concerns just simply about the, the, the rights issues that are going to be impacted by this type of legislation or proposed legislation. Do you think that the elections that are coming up in 2019 has anything to do with this? I think it has. I think it has a lot to do with it, Gary. In, in the following sense, the firearms environment is such a shambles right now that it's a hot potato that no one really wants to deal with. Mm. And like everything else, where there's a vacuum, someone's going to step into it, and that person or persons that step into it are not necessarily best suited to that vacuum, but they find themselves in an environment where they can forward their own agendas. And what we what we strongly believe has happened is that the Secretariat for Police, which is supposed to exercise oversight over the police and provide support functions, we think, well, we know it's come out of the Secretariat. We know that there's one or two people in the Secretariat who have violently anti-gun agendas, mm. and they have driven this process um, partly by consulting with elements within the private sector who are anti-gun as well. But because 
no one really wants to deal with all of the problems, and the problems are myriad in mm, this environment. Enormous, yeah. yeah. Um, they suddenly find that they can step into that environment, and they're not really um, given much opposition. So we believe at this stage it's a small group of people coming from the Secretariat of Police and the Secretary himself because the Secretary was tasked with engaging us and he's refused to engage us over the last two years. He hasn't even arrived for meetings that he was scheduled to chair with us. So we think that um, many politicians don't want to touch it and that includes the ruling um, party at this stage. But uh, it's created space for a small element of vociferously anti-gun activists to push to push this agenda, um, do you see it going through ultimately, the, in some form or another? I think in, in any contentious type of legislation, you start aiming for ten and you maybe compromise at five. Mm. And we saw this in the early to mid nineteen nineties, where the the proposals were radical, and after a great deal of 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 very strong lobbying, the proposals were modified. And we were told at the time by the ANC, this is the first round. You've won this round, but it doesn't change our agenda. Our ultimate agenda is going to be to remove firearms. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that they're going to succeed with this. Um, I would like to to believe that will be, there would be a groundswell of public opposition um, to particularly the self-defense issue. Mm -hmm. um, we must also bear in mind that the security industry is the largest single employer other than government in this country. Really? That's so, so interesting. Wow. So, so yeah. it, it's going to result in job losses, first yeah. of all. Um, it's also – the security industry is also – and again, the, the, the industry is often maligned um, incorrectly, but the security industry is also – an industry where entry level often leads to far better job prospects. You get someone that starts as a security officer, mm. becomes an armed response officer, ends up becoming a supervisor, area manager, manager, and so forth. And there's many examples that I can personally speak for where people have worked their way up into relatively senior levels of management, mm. having started out at the very bottom. I think a large percentage of us, Joe Public, really believe in the private security f uh, companies because those are the people, as you said earlier, that come out and they're first on the scene and they're the people that are protecting us truthfully. And it would be a shame from my perspective if uh, they weren't there for us. Who who would there be? There'll be, there'll be, there'll no, be no one. one. And, yeah. and just to give an example, and it's yeah. a very sad example, um, my son is now an adult, but when he was growing up, I always used to say to him, if you have a problem, find a security officer, yeah. not a policeman. Yes. And the reason yeah. for that is because I know that security officers are going to be well-trained enough to, if they can't deal with the situation, they can at least contact by radio their control room mm, and, and arrange absolutely. for it. And, and, in fact, I just want to give another example, Gary, mm. um, about the security industry. Many people don't realize that even the unarmed guards that you see in shopping centers, they're trained mm. to deal with fires. So if there's a fire in a shopping center, they know the procedures, how to evacuate people, how to take them down. Um, the emergency fire exits and so forth. Mm. Those are functions that no police officer could ever fulfill. Yeah. And if these, if these proposals in respect to the security industry are successful, if you remove one part of a business, if you remove the armed response part or the assets and transit part, the remaining part, which is the unarmed part, may not be financially viable for that security company because the armed element mm. 
mm. of security is the biggest money spinner in the industry at this stage. Yes. So take away that part of a business, you're going to see job losses in the rest of the security industry. It's a fact. Mm. Mark, let's give out your very powerful Facebook membership uh, that uh, you've developed over a, f- a short <laughs> period. I think you're nearly on 5,000. I'm about 4,500. Excellent. Yes. Um, how do people find this? And if they want to join up with you, how do we get there? Um, you, it, it's a, a by invitation group. It's mm. not an open Facebook um, page. Um, mm. I have fairly strict uh, requirements in terms What's of… What's it under? It's under uh, MJ Hood and Associates. Okay. So you can just go onto Facebook, look at MJ Hood and Associates, send, send me a member request. I'll check out your profile. If I'm happy, then you're welcome to join. Good. We've done the show in association with Legal Talk South Africa, who have nearly, nearly, nearly 200,000. I think they short a few of that. So uh, many thanks to them for putting this podcast onto their page so that their members can listen. It's been a very, very interesting and very frightening is the uh, pun on the word, but uh, frightening show this. You know, we need protection. I don't know where we'll get it from if this happens. I think scary. That, I, I think that we just need to let government know that these proposals don't make sense in the current context. Yeah, that's Martin Hood for you. We're going to be moving on to our live listeners. Don't go away because there's something really interesting on cross-examination, uh, which will be on a separate podcast. To, to you, our listener, many thanks for listening to this. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.